0: fastest growing TV network the new TNN Pop Culture Addicts, welcome back to the new TNN podcast feed. It's time for a brand new episode of Ringman, the show here on the new TNN where we talk about professional wrestling. My name is Johnny C and thank you so much for tuning in for this one as it's really the grandiest of daddies of them all, if you will, because today we're going to talk about a show that gets a lot of heat, baby. It should have gotten a lot of heat, though. Right? I mean, it's the culmination, culmination, as the American Pie assistant coach would say, of the NWO Storyline's first iteration. So that means we're talking about Starcade 1997, a show that I honestly don't know that I've ever watched in its entirety. Of course, the legends, the legends of this show uh, sort of obscure the view. And I'm not trying to sound like Dusty Rhodes, but hear me out. Everybody who's listening to this show is probably an existing pro wrestling fan. Most likely aware of the controversy slash, uh, dare I say, fuck up that was Starrcade 1997, okay? But I'm not here to assume that's the case. I'm coming into this thing with an open eye because really, and right from the get-go of the show, which, uh, you know, I'm not ready to to get into the opening shots of the show or anything quite yet, but right from the get-go, I just want to tell you, I'm impressed by what WCW's putting on my television screen. And that's not something that I am one to say about WCW very frequently, okay? So they certainly had the right setup going on for an event of this magnitude. And it really was an event of this magnitude. The Sting saga, you know, has been going since Fall Brawl 1996 in terms of him being a... You know, third par- uh, but he's a third-party candidate, Tony Schiavone. Sting, he's been in the rafters trying to get your vote for the third party. You know, he's been a, a, a fucking, what's the word, a free agent, if you will. God, I'm not trying to say like Dusty Rhodes, but you got to remember, I just watched a three-hour show with Dusty Rhodes on it, if you will. But it's December 28th, 1997, so Sting's been a free agent since, I don't know, let's just say September 28th, 1996. I'm, I'm pretending here, but let's say Fall that. So a year and like three months, alright? And in wrestling vernacular, that's like six years, man. Especially in this era that we're talking about. We're really close to full-on attitude with WWF, and their offering this month is degenerate into something full. I'm in your house and I'm gonna steal your food, maybe drinks your beer, yeah, maybe steal your wife's underwear, break it down, staddle up, da 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 da, generation in your house. It's unnecessary, but I did it anyway. But. What, was, what I was saying is that you have all the groundwork laid. You've got your year-and-a-half-long storyline. You've got weak competition over on the other channel. You've got your version of WrestleMania. You're in a beautiful brand-new arena that's jam-packed to the rafters, and that's not hyperbole. It's jam-packed, and I think Sting was probably sitting in the rafters, not in a tanny bed during this show at some point. So I like the brand synergy there. And yes, I did make a Sting Pale joke. It won't be the last one, okay? But Eric Bischoff has famously, to his own detriment, talked about how Sting wasn't tan enough for this show. And and I'm not disagreeing, alright? But it's not the most important thing that one could talk about, which I guess leads me to the last thing I'll say before we get started here. I am going to try... Well, I'm not going to try. I am. I'm going to look at this one a little bit more seriously. Sure, I'll throw in some patented trademark humor, but... I want to look at the ring work. I want to look at the crowd. I want to feel Starcade 97, okay? I'm telling you right from the get-go, I'm not diving as deep into the nonsense that we're going to be talking about on commentary. I'll pepper in some stuff occasionally because I can't not do that. That's, that's my bread and butter. But I really wanted to treat this like the event that it should be and give it an honest and fair review, all right? And speaking of the thing that it should be, it should be WrestleMania. I, I guess I should just get that illusion out of the way. It should be, right? This should be the Austin era has begun, which we're just a few months away from. That's what this show should be for WCW. Will we get there? Let's find out. Twelve twenty-eight ninety-seven, 97 Washington, D.C., the brand new $200 million MCI Center. That's a quote from Mike Tanay, if it's wrong. Blame him, not me. According to Tony Schiavone, there's like over 24K here. Wikipedia has it at 17.5. Either way, it's full. It's fucking full. What are you going to do about it? Now, we open the show with a video. And it's not so much a video package. It's a thematic, like, film-type sketch from WCW that really sets the tone for the story that's been conveyed over the last year and a half. We're in the ruins of like a town, like in a building that's been abandoned and destroyed, okay? In a derelict part of town. And yes, this is a joke, but it's not. Is this Nitroville? What the fuck does that mean, you might say to yourself? Well, think about this. Nitroville is the, is the fucking name I'm lovingly given the town where the W.W. Nitro intro occurs. Think about it. They're in a city... With superstars, you know, uh, blanketing the, the, the fucking city top roofs and uh, wrestling moves happening and little explosions. And I feel like in the context of the story, because nobody commits, no one commits something to film without trying to say something. Unless you're making like a sex tape. Which is fine! Do that! Enjoy yourself! As long as it's consensual. But I'm just saying, you're not going to waste celluloid without a purpose. And is the thematic element of this sketch. Sting is in the ruins of Nitroville. Nitroville in this scenario representing the foundation of WCW. Well, Hulk Hogan flashes on a building and broken glass just like he does in the Nitro opening for a ridiculously long time. On-screen text says he watches from the shadows. Well, it's true, he does. Sting flips his hair. On-screen text, he witnessed the ruin of an empire. This is what gave me my theory. Is this the empire that's been ruinated? It's Nitroville, and it's gone to shit since the NWO invaded. Sting grabs his patented bat, on-screen text, now he seeks the ruin of one man. So, in exchange for an empire, Sting wants just one man, which will, of course, hopefully cause the NWO empire to fail. It's not bad. It could have been... I mean, let's not kid ourselves. If Vince has a hold of this storyline and these larger-than-life characters, he's putting together something Oscar-worthy. Well, maybe not Oscar-worthy. Maybe Saturn Award-worthy? Ah, maybe not Saturn Award. Maybe, like, a thumbs-up on a YouTube video award-worthy? Sure, that's what we'll go with. Uh, we zoom into Sting's eye, where the Stargate 97 logo rests, and now we're in the arena with some pyro. Lots of fans here. Lots of enthusiastic fans, WCW fans, and WO fans, and these fans are a big part of this show. God love them. They stick with stuff, but will they stick the entire time? We'll try to track that. All right. Uh, the Pyro Ignites, I'm, I'm looking at some of these 1997-ites in the crowd, and I'm like, holy shit, that guy looks just like Rey Mysterio, because he's wearing a Rey Mysterio mask. Holy shit, that is Rey Mysterio. We'll talk about it. Tony, Dusty, and Mike today are on the call at the desk. Where's the brain, man? Where is Bobby Heenan? I'm immediately disappointed. All right. I'll try to fill in the gaps here. Apparently, the week before on Nitro, the NWO took over the broadcast booth, and they they forced Tenet to be on commentary with them, and Bobby sort of was like, sure, I'll, I'll commentate for you. They make it sound like Bobby the Brain Heenan is waiting to see who wins tonight's semi-main event. The semi-main event of tonight's show is for control of Nitro. You've got an NWO representative taking on a WSW representative, and whomever wins, that team gets to control Nitro. So the storyline here is Brain sort of like not choosing sides, and so Tanay gets the call to the big show. And yes, I'm masking the participants in the semi-main event. There's no need to because this show was a long time ago, not even in a galaxy far away. I mean, you can access it, the information, whenever you want. But sure, I'm hiding it back just for a smidge. Uh, When Mike Taney is introduced by Tony Schiavone, here we go, shenanigans, even though I promised I wouldn't. Mike Taney looks incredibly horny for Tony Schiavone, and that's fine. It's just not something I expected to see. They let us know there's already some controversy surrounding the main event. Well, fuck. They don't even know, alright? But it is, surprisingly, controversy surrounding who's going to referee the main event. Tanay lets us know that the WCW Championship Committee will put the names of all the WCW referees into a hat. A hat? I mean, you couldn't think of a better way to describe this because now I'm literally just picturing all the referees standing in a circle and J.J. Dillon with a hat. A fucking hat off of Ralphus's head pulling out a goddamn name. Talk about official and proper and thematic and just larger than life. But J.J. will choose the referee out of a hat later tonight. Dusty wants to talk, but Tony cuts him off so we can show WCW wrestlers in the crowd. One of the ongoing storylines throughout this evening is that WCW has finally united together as one. And those individuals who are on WWE WCW roster that are not booked on the show are watching from the crowd like some jabronis that had to pay for a ticket. Now, it blows my mind some of the folks that we get camera shots of, not because they don't deserve to be seen on camera, but I'm thinking, why are they not performing in the ring on camera? Ray Mysterio, mentioned. Ray's hanging out with Glacier. Okay, Glacier, you don't deserve to be here. But the Harlem Heat are pedestrians this evening. Oh, pedestrians are walker. Uh the fuck's the word I'm looking for. Spectators this evening. There you go. Use take two. Uh Sonny Ono here as well. That's Tony Schiavone's like, even Sonny Ono is here. Like he's surprised. Like, oh, I can't believe that fucker came. Disco Inferno, the world television champion. Well, he's made it to TV. In a great fucking like, sketch that I want to see, TV champion Disco Inferno is sitting next to Canyon. However, Canyon is portraying Mortis, masked superstar and arch nemesis of Glacier. Of course, Mortis is wearing his patented mask the entire night, and I'd love to hear the conversations. hi, hi. Hi, hi Dusk Golfardo, can you open my math call so I can get a sip of the soda? I'm Mortis, by the way. Uh, behind them, Ultimo Dragon, not on the card. Greg the Hammer Valentine, you're here? You have a contract? Good for you, man. Uh, behind them, Barry Darso. Now, most of the WCW superstars are seated, seated near the entranceway. However, we do get a shot of one loser who's in... Not bad seats, but for the purposes of the gag, I'm going to call them the cheap seats. And that's Hugh Morris all alone, all by himself, not with a ringside seat. Now that Tony's done talking about this, he's ready to give control of the program to Dusty Rhodes so Dusty can say some intro stuff. Tony immediately regrets this. Dusty, even though he's one of the world's greatest talkers, rambles for like a minute and gets... Lost in thought quite a bit. Destiny, from the time that you want to be a great athlete, leads you uh, to uh, a final place, if you will. As Dusty rambles, Tony looks annoyed, but he also looks panicked on his face, but he, he's perfectly still, like he's afraid to move lest something happen. He's just like, oh my god, friends! he needs to shut up so we can get moving. They're yelling at me in my headset. Please, please, Dusty, stop talking. I have to move on and they're going to kill my family. (laughs) Dusty, please. After Dusty's done, he ends with a dynamite. We need to tie these holes to the post and walk in through these swinging doors because there's a fight about to break out right here with Starcade. As soon as he says Starcade, Dean Malenko's music starts. So they were just waiting for him to finish. Uh, Our first entrance, our first match is getting set up. Tony lets us know that the WCW has received a press release from the NWO indicating Kevin Nash will not be on site tonight. A press release? Really? This press release isn't very informative because Tony's like, all we know fans is that Kevin Nash is not here. We'll talk about it in his segment. The crowd is amazing. It's a spectacle to behold and truly an accomplishment for WCW. Lots of NWO fans, lots of WCW fans. I feel like even the NWO fans want Sting to win tonight. Dean Malenko is waiting for his opponent. Well, uh, a, a knockoff of lowrider hits. And it's Eddie Guerrero! Woo! As Eddie makes his entrance, we get a good shot of the Starcade setup. It's a good entrance. I love the black and gray color themes on the Starcade logo and on the ring mat tonight. Uh, they've got some columns set up. Look, it's they've got tiny TVs. It's not a, a fucking WWE set of the modern era, obviously. But... I think it beats the WrestleMania 14 set, which is the comparison, and the 13 set. So, good for you, WCW. Eddie carries the belt like a boss with his draped over his shoulder like a knapsack. Disco Inferno yells at Eddie Guerrero. And uh, Eddie enters the ring, so here we go. Match number one, Starcade 97. Eddie Guerrero defends the WCW Cruiserweight Championship against Dean Malenko. Right away, Eddie Guerrero uses... Uh, Charles Robinson has a human shield, and we get some chain wrestling. It devolves quickly, though, into fisticuffs, and the announcers are talking about who will be the referee in the main event tonight. Dusty points out that there's a the tweener in the building. A tweener. It's Brett the Hitman Hart that Dusty's talking about. He'll be the referee in the semi-main event, and he's a tweener because we don't know. Is he WCW or NWO? So they are laying the groundwork for lots of referee problems tonight. They don't even know. Malenko hits his awesome one-foot dropkick thing, and I like it. Multiple standing switches leads to Eddie Guerrero holding on to the arm of Dean Malenko. Eddie runs the ropes and jumps up to the top turnbuckle to hit Arana, But fuck me sideways, Malenko cuts him off with a stiff powerbomb that would make even Kevin Nash jealous. Insane spinebuster by Dean Malenko leads to a flip pin. One, two, no. Eddie bridges out. We get some of the stereotypical cruiserweight choreographed spots, but it's fine. We, You know, the reversals and everything. Uh, I have a feeling like these guys could do this match while asleep. Eddie is on his knees. He puts up his dukes, like, Hey, come on, Malenko, I'll fight you on my knees. Come on, come on. Dean Malenko moves forward towards Eddie, who's still on his knees. And, folks, Eddie Guerrero while on his knees, runs out of the ring and slides to the outside. I don't know how to describe Eddie's knee running, except it popped me hard, and I love it. Uh, More talk about the press release from the NWO distracts the commentary team. Of course, we'll talk about why Kevin's not here, I promise, during the next segment, which is his. Eddie sneaks back into the ring and clips Stinko Malenko, the left leg has turned colors on Dean Malenko's power meter. It was green. Now it's inching toward orange, hopefully towards red if Eddie keeps it up. Eddie is in control and hits a dropkick to the face while Dean is seated. Looks great. Malenko fights back with a front suplex, draping Eddie onto the ropes. Dean is in control with a chin lock now and only lasts a few seconds because he transitions it to a head scissors chin lock, but Eddie grabs the ropes. This is an event to beat. Owl! Oh! is what Dusty Rhodes says. Now, I'm thinking that Dusty said, this is an event to beat off, which would be humorous. But then, afterwards, Dusty says, in public, if you will. So Dusty said, this is an event to beat all, in public, if you will, which doesn't make any sense. But I heard this is an event to beat off, in public, if you will. And I wouldn't recommend it, but you do you, I suppose. Eddie pleads for a timeout. He even kisses the boots of Dean Malenko. And hey, speaking of kissing the boots, if you're looking for a new savior to worship, like if you're out there in the real world and you can't find anyone that can act as your personal savior, allow me to present Larissa Malenko because she was born on Christmas night and she's the first daughter of the Malenko family. Mike Tanay lets us know Malenko just had a daughter, but hey, she's born on Christmas night, so she might have some sort of supernatural powers. Maybe she can help you out if you're in a bind. I mean, I've I've heard of worse religions. Dean Malenko doesn't buy Eddie's shenanigans and tosses him to the outside. Eddie, though, gets back in and we start a Greco-Roman knuckle lock. Eddie gets Dean down and stomps on the hands, so goodbye Greco-Roman knuckle lock. Uh, a drop kick though, to the head by Dean Malenko puts uh, him back in control. But Eddie fights back and goes for the Tornado DDT. But he gets countered and Dean just tosses him. Like a sack of potatoes. Back body drop stun gun into the buckle now by Dean Malenko. And yes, that sounds insane. But it looked cool. Uh, He goes for the two count. But, you know, goes for the pin gets a two count. Malenko with a suplex. Eddie, though, falls outside to the apron in a counter maneuver from this suplex. And hits a reverse neck snap. He pulls Dean Malenko to the outside. And then he drapes his knee that he clipped, sort of dangling over the ring apron. Eddie back inside. He does a top rope suicida slingshot to the leg that's been dangling over the apron. Ouch. He then tosses Malenko face first into the post. And then Eddie starts to ram the injured knee into the post. He makes a sandwich using the solid steel steps. And drop kicks the steps into Malenko's knee into the post. Very nice. There's so many cool dropkick variants in this match. It's really off the chain. We see the Ultimo Dragon watching from the seats. That's a problem. The knee that's been under duress is now going to be injured for the rest of the match. So, you know, imagine Malenko limping. Limp, limping. Easy for you to say, if you will. Uh, Eddie Guerrero then hits an awesome bomb of power. The cruiserweight powerbombs just rule, okay? There's no way around it. Eddie then flips around and lands on Dean Malenko's head, but Dean counters into a slam. Dean's in control, but hurting. Malenko goes for the papoose to go, but springs Eddie around and flips him into a pack breaker. Pretty cool. See, he can't go for the cloverleaf because his knee is in a situation. Dusty says, though, that people are running around backstage and scurrying, looking to see who will be the referee for the main event. I just like the Dusty says scurries. Eddie is on the apron now and tries to mount the top turnbuckle. Malenko fights back, and then Malenko, in a convoluted way, finds himself sitting on the top rope. It's awkward, but they're in position for the big spot. Eddie Guerrero is thinking Rana. Malenko is holding on. Eddie goes for the Rana. Malenko tosses Eddie Guerrero into the sky. It ends up looking like a top rope X-Factor. But the problem is, nobody looks good from here. Uh, it looks like a blown spot. It's confirmed when Tony says, I think Malenko was going for the gut buster off the top. And that's hard to do. So I'm not going to throw shade at these individuals, you know. It's after Christmas. New Year's is coming up. Biggest show of the year. Biggest payday. You know, no need to kill yourself, okay. you You, you were going for the glory. It didn't work. Who cares? Who cares? It's fine. Um, Another powerbomb by the great Malenko, though. So definitely trying to just, you know, do a move to say that I'm in control because I would have been in control if I hit the gut buster. He goes for the cloverleaf, but Eddie Guerrero kicks the hurt knee. Eddie Guerrero goes for a running drop kick directly to the knee, but Dean moves and Eddie slides outside the ring. Eddie, though, rams his own shoulder into the knee of Dean Malenko while he's on the apron. Dean staggers. Eddie goes up top and hits a missile dropkick from the top rope directly to the knee of Dean Malenko. It's beautiful. But this dropkick of missile nature doesn't look spectacular because what Eddie Guerrero has to do is he has to sort of just fall forward off the top rope because he doesn't want to get high. This is like the one time Eddie Guerrero doesn't want to get high on his jump because he's trying to dropkick the knee directly. It looks great. It's perfection. Can't say enough good things about it. Malenko is down on his back. Eddie sprints over to the opposite top turn buckle, Hits the Frogger to the knee. One, two, three. Very nice. I'll go three and a half stars. It's really good. It's base level Malenko Guerrero. Again, I think they could do this in their sleep. But it's a good opener. And if everything else delivers on this card, this is just another wonderful piece of the pie, if you will. At this point, though, it's time for the next segment to start heading our way, so cue the voiceover guy, the biggest, the biggest, big, big, new, new, new world order. Here comes Scott Hall. He's got a WCW Tag Team Championship belt, but uh, he's not actually one-half of the tag champions, so whatever. I'll say this, though, about Mr. Hall. He looks great. By comparison... I've recently watched uh, No Way Out 2002, where the NWO comes back. He ain't looking good there. And, God help me, I watched some Scott Hall in TNA. He ain't looking good there. But here, he's got the hair completely slicked back, and regardless of whether you like it or not, he does have the perfectly pieced out one strand of hair hanging down in front of his face, and he just looks great. This is the type of Scott Hall I want to see. He does his typical survey. Hey, yo, did you come to see WCW? Uh, it's a little even, but the I, I've forgotten this about the survey. It's a little deceitful because when the, he says, are you here to see the NWO, he says, or are you here to see the... And then he hands, you know, he puts the microphone like towards the crowd. It's like the road dogs sing along or the rocks sing along. It's, you know, everybody wants to play along. And that's why the survey is unbalanced. It may not be scientifically accurate. I don't know if there's been any studies done on these surveys and their accuracy levels, but that's my two cents. So, he's here to support the NWO in Hollywood, but he's also going to be keeping a watchful eye on the main event. Because he's going to be facing the winner at Super Brawl, because he won World War III. That's the good news, but he's also got some... I'm I'm afraid Scott Hall has got some bad news. He tells the crowd that Nash isn't here tonight. Woo, there's a chorus of boos. So we might as well get into it. This is the night when Kevin Nash had some issues with his heart. It was rhythmically challenged or perhaps out of sync. And there was some sort of a minor heart attack scenario, if you will. I believe him! Okay, well, I, I look, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was indigestion or the fucking uh, ha- hangover or what. But, uh, you know, I, I'll give Nash the benefit of the doubt, and here's why. A- and ask yourself this question. Do you believe that Kevin Nash would miss the opportunity to receive a payout of this magnitude voluntarily if you don't then I think we're on the same page. The giant arrives to a big pop surprisingly, because Scott Hall has been like so bring out a referee and bring out the giant. I guess you can raise his hand, whatever. Uh, you know what? Uh, if you, you know where the giant should go? Down where? Down there. You, you know what I'm talking about, in Scott Hall. But the giant cuts a promo and he's like, I'm calm, Scott. I'm not even angry. I'll have a long career. You said it. Uh, I'll fight Kevin Nash some other night. Scott Hall gets in his face. He mocks him by doing the chokeslam thing. And, shockingly, the Giant turns his back, and Scott goes on the offensive, but the Giant turns around. Scott freaks out. He goes to chokeslam Scott Hall, and when he goozles him, the crowd, wow, they just erupt. Uh, He puts him down for the chokeslam, though, and actually gives him a goddamn jackknife powerbomb. And then he leaves the ring calmly. Survey says the giant just whipped him! The NWOB team arrives to help Scott Hall to the back with the NWOB team music. And I'll pause here because Scott Hall leaves. Why not just... I don't know. Why not do an official match here? Take the time to ring the bell and have the giant just murder Scott Hall. Now, Scott Hall is the quote-unquote number one contender for World War Three, But, I mean, he's he's got the title shot already, so he's sort of bulletproof from that perspective. Plus, he's coming out here in his street clothes, not expecting to wrestle. If you ring the bell... Okay, You at least give the crowd the opportunity to believe they've gotten what they paid for to a certain extent. But the bell is never rung and thus ends the the, the battle for giantism here in WCW. Now, as I said, Scott Hall goes to the back. Vincent and Scott Norton are the NWOB team that came to his rescue. They're here for a tag team matchup because David Pinzer is like, Introducing Scott Norton, Vincent, and Conan! Wait, Conan?! Ooh, but where is he? He's not here. I don't see him. And trust me, if Conan is in the vicinity, you're going to know he's around. Because he won't stop talking about what he had for lunch. Yo, I had a fruit salad with strawberries and cranberries. Blueberries, blackberries, red berries, <laughs> Mint berry crunch. I had some crunch berries. Are there any other types of berries? No, I think we're good on that one. But uh, out comes the opponents for the evening. WCW Tag Team Champions, the Steiner Brothers, with manager Ted DiBiase and Ray Trailer. Jesus Christ, that's a team. Scott is inflated to the point of popping. Uh, I-, I don't really understand the reasoning to give the Steiners a mouthpiece. Like I like Ted DiBiase as much as the next guy, and I get the narrative reason, but I don't think Ted ever really added anything to the presentation. Ray trailer of course, was kicked out of the NWO or quit, whatever, doesn't matter, along with DiBiase, so that at least makes sense. But this is obviously supposed to be a six-man, but where is the sixth man? Scott Norton's like, hold on a minute, here he comes. He does the NWO point to the entrance, and the real NWO theme starts. But it's not the NWO theme we all know and love. It's one of their variants, because we hear, ooh, yeah. It's the Macho Man, Randy Savage, with a very on fire, Miss Elizabeth. Now, my first reaction is, awesome. What a fucking substitution. Savage for Conan. But then, my fucking brain kicked in, and I was like, you're telling me Savage wasn't booked on this show? What the fuck? I mean, that's more egregious than the WCW guys in the uh, audience, in my opinion, because this is Randy Savage. Alright, that's just my opinion. Tony's like, quite a substitute, I must say. Yeah, no shit. This is a bomb, if you will, this thing that's been laid out right on us. No one in that industry has been a part of big events like this man, the Macho Man Randy Savage, uh, except for Hollywood Hogan. Because Dusty has to realize uh, who his master is. That's right, brother, you better say I'm bigger than the Macho Man. Tony claims that the NWO is allowed to make this substitution as a result of their victory at Fall Brawl 1996. Now, I like the callback. I like the fact that this is rooted in reality, but is it too much? Because what Tony's doing is I don't know if this is an ad lib or not, but it explains away this situation perfectly fine. However, it might accidentally create problems for other scenarios, you know? Like if you're watching a movie, a big fucking Justice League movie, and at the end of the day, everybody's dead, and the Flash is like, wait a minute, I can run so fast, I can go back in time and fix all this. That's perfectly fine. But the next time there's a big-ass problem, if the Flash doesn't go, oh, wait, I can just run back in time and fix this. You've got a narrative problem. But if he does do it, you're like, that's what they did in the first movie. So my whole point about this unnecessary detail that I wrote down is that Tony has fixed this problem, but he might be poking holes in other rationalizations that have been given or will be given in the future. But it's time for match number two, the NWO. Macho Man, Scott Flash, Norton, and Vincent taking on the WCW, the Steiners and Ray Traylor. The Steiners are wearing matching white wrestling singlets with black and white boots. That's fine. But do they not watch the show that they're on? Because that's exactly how the NWO dresses. So whatever. Big time stalling at the start. Who will start the match? I don't know, because we're still stalling. Eventually, it's Randy Savage and Scott Steiner, which is, which is good for me. Scott Steiner, though, you got to be careful in this match because, again... Now that he's in the ring and posing and shit, he's just about to pop. And folks, I'd like to start talking about the match, but it appears that Starcade 97 has been relocated from Washington, D.C. to Memphis, Tennessee, because we're still stalling. Finally, there's a lockup. Nothing happens. Then there's another lockup, and the two men jockey for position. Scott backs Randy into the corner. Randy pushes out with a wild swing and a miss. Shades of his old baseball days. Savage now decides to stall by H.B. Kane on the top turnbuckle, just having himself a little seat. Finally, there's a lockup. Savage whipped into the ropes and a big shoulder block by Scott. Savage up to a vertical base. Savage slaps Scott. Scott slaps Savage. And oh my god, am I watching TBS's power slap. What a fucking program that is. Flash Norton knees Scott Steiner in the fucking kidneys and Savage begins to choke. He tags in Vincent for some double teaming. Dusty then says this might be a bad move on the NWO because you have to get it done before you tag in Vincent and all the other lesser athletes of a new world order. So just shitting on Vincent, and that's fine. Flash Norton is in. He hits the papoose to go. Lots of papoose to go's on this one. Yeah, i will get a papoose to go. A shot of fries, though, and extra pastrami. Schmark Madden ordering a papoose to go. Backbreaker by the Flashman. Savage is tagged back in and hits his patented double axe off the top, but Steiner fights back and hits a standing Pearl River Plunge. Then a gorilla press slam. Uh Uh-oh, though, we've devolved into a Pier 69 brawl because all six men are in. Team WCW clears the ring, and the Steiners hit their patented dog face Steiner pose. Ray Trailer paces around behind them, looking for a way to integrate himself into the pose, but he fails. Scott Steiner pursues Randy to the outside. The Macho Man uses Miss Elizabeth as a human shield. Scott Steiner lifts Elizabeth and sets her gently to the side. Savage in the ring tags in Flash Norton. Scott Steiner finally tags out of the match And Rick Steiner is in A shitty power slam by Rick Steiner It's so shitty they redo the spot So why not One, two, no Flash Norton kicks out Bubber is tagged in The crowd is uninterested Though he is a house of fire But now he's caught in the wrong part of town And the NWO starts cheating Vincent is back in and hits a big double axe He leaps towards Big Bubber But Ray makes the catch for a mid-card spine buster. But for some reason, Vincent is quickly up and still in control of the match. All right. Ray Trailer fights back and tags in Scott Steiner. Vincent, at this point, appears to be the heel in peril because they beat on him for like two and a half minutes. And I'm falling asleep. Eventually, Vincent tags Flash. Uh, Flash is all over Big Bubber. Then he tags Vincent back in after about 45 seconds. I know I've talked about this before. Why are you tagging in the guy that just got his ass beat after he had a 40 seconds of respite on the outside? Not to mention, it's Vincent! Vincent and Bubber collide, so we got a double down. Hot tag to Rick. The NWO is all in now, and Steiner lines are being served up on the hot bar here at Shoney's by Rick Steiner. Scott's in. Ray's in. It's a breakdown! In your house! Vincent ends up on Rick Steiner's shoulders. Scott Steiner goes to the top rope, and oh, fuck! They do a top-rope doomsday device DDT to Vincent. He's really earning his money tonight. One! Two! No, Flash breaks up the pin. Scott puts Vincent up on the top-rope. Holy Jesus, it's a top-rope Frankensteiner! (laughs) Upon delivering the top-rope Frankensteiner, Tanay yells, Take that, Ray Jr. I mean, wouldn't you be on Ray's side, Taney? That's kind of your bread and butter. Savage breaks up the pin attempt. Scott Steiner puts Savage in a seated position on the top rope. Scott's going for the Frankensteiner, it looks like. But the referee is having a conversation with Ted DiBiase about, I don't know, junk bonds, maybe? That's a money thing. Scott Flash Norton grabs Scott Steiner from behind and does the electric chair drop. Savage is still on the top rope, so he stands. He poses. He hits the big elbow to a big pop in the one, two, three. The NWO wins it. I mean, did you expect the NWO to lose? I mean, it was Randy Savage in there. And, uh, well, I guess if they lost, Vincent would have eaten the pinfall. But, come on. I guess I'll give the match two stars. Now, before you come after me, it was bad, okay? But remember, I do everything's two and a half unless you're better or worse. This was worse, so I slide it down to two because there's way too much Vincent. But I did like seeing Randy out here. On his way out, Randy makes sure to, you know, be insane, and threaten to do his patented, jabbed, rabid punches to the fans at ringside, that's fine, but the NWO exits the scene, the WCW exits the scene, and it's time to talk to Mean Gene. And I think that rhymed! Eh, I love it when a plan comes together. Gene, of course, wants to talk hotline, and you know, so do I. WWE has gotta have the tapes, right? I mean, if not, who's got the tapes to all the hotline stuff? All this shit that's been around for the years between WCW and WWF. All these superstar line, hotline shit. Like, you want to make some money? Okay? uh, Hire some intern to go through the fucking shit and cut together, like, one month from one year. Let's, Let's just start with January 1993. For the fuck of it. Release a podcast and sell advertisements because I guarantee... You will shoot to the top of the ranks of sports-based podcasts. Now, not enough money to be made in podcasts, you say? Okay, fine. Put it on the network. But then you have to add a visual component to it and someone has to do more work. I'm just saying, you can find a way to profit off of this shit to this very day. People will do it. People will come. They'll listen. I'll listen. Maybe I won't even fast-forward to the commercials. Gene tells us that all the WCW stars are here, including some you don't know about. You'll be shocked to learn their identities. Call the hotline at 1-900-909-9900. Now, James J. Dillon, head of the WCW Championship Committee, you pulled the name out of the hat for the referee. Who is going to be the referee in charge for the main event of Sting and Hollywood Hogan? Nick Patrick! James J. Dillon, I'm appalled. He's the laziest counter of all time. In fact, he might be even more lazy than Randy Anderson because at least Randy Anderson would leap over two combatants, fall to the ground, and make a one, two, three count. In fact, Randy Anderson is so keyed in that when he leaps and lands, he will indicate that when his landing is indeed the one of the three count. So it's jump, land, two, three. Nick Patrick is very lazy. And what's with that thing he does with his hand and his wrist in between each count? It's like, one, wiggle, 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 wiggle. Two, wiggle, 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 wiggle. Three, Nick Patrick rings the bell for the one, two, three. James J. Dillon, however, is sure that since Nick Patrick came back from his suspension, all of his referee calls have been on the level, and the match will be fine. Speaking of matches, holy moly, here comes William Goldberg. Now, I have not looked at the WCW Starcade 97 card. I didn't do that before I watched it. So I'm very happy here to see Bill Goldberg. I'm also very pleased and very surprised, but it makes sense to have him on the biggest show of the year, the biggest show of all time, I suppose. In July of 98, he's going to be the man. So we can look back at his Starcade 97 performance and say, hey, look, we should have known all the way back at Starcade that he was going to be the man because he killed some dude in 30 seconds on the biggest show of the year. Now, you wouldn't know that Bill Goldberg is going to be a big star because the commentary team just wants to talk about Nick Patrick. Mike Tanay says he's having flashbacks now to Nick Patrick as the NWO referee. So does that indicate that Mike Tenay was on the receiving end of being in an NWO video when Nick Patrick was wearing the gimpy referee mask? What'd they do to you, Tenay? Show me on the doll where they touched you. Hey, the flock is here sitting at ringside. Kidman appears to be itchy as he's scratching his body. Here comes Goldberg's opponent. Oh, God! It's Steve Mongo McMichael. Upon seeing Mongo, Dusty Rhodes says, My homeboy, yeah! All right, fine. I guess that makes Mongo the the baby face and Goldberg the heel. Eh, whatever. Uh, Apparently, this match was supposed to take place in World War III, but Mongo attacked Goldberg with a pipe. And it didn't happen. Goldberg meets Mongo in the aisle. And according to Dusty Rhodes, they are throwing some leather. Because they're punching. They brawl until Bill Goldberg fireman carries Mongo into the ring and sets up a table uh, against the steel post outside. He enters the ring and the bell rings. So here we go. There's a big Goldberg chant from the beginning. But it doesn't match the cadence of the Goldberg chant we will soon know. And here's what I mean by that. The crowd's like, Goldberg, Goldberg, Goldberg. And it's just a section of the crowd. But some people are digging it. So it's it's a fast chant. It's not, Lots of spot calling in the ring as Goldberg covers for two. Dusty's like, I'll tell you what, guys, these boys, these boys have been in the war zone before. It's a bad choice of words war zone. Outside the ring now as Bill tries to ram Mongo into the table, but Mongo blocks. Goldberg then throws some real bad punches. Mike Tenay talks about Bill Goldberg's uh, experiences and his successes playing football at the University of Georgia. Dusty retorts, in Texas where they play real football, Steve Mongo McMichael made a top 100 high school <laughs> made, made a list of the top 100 high school football players of all time, daddy. Well, you, you know, you peak in high school, that's fine. I'm with you there, Mongo. <laughs> Fist to the breadbasket, and Bill Goldberg is clearly in control because he yells, How you like that, boy? into the camera. Goldberg does the little flip thing where he does the cross knee breaker, but Mongo spikes his head during the flipping portion. Ouch! And some limb work here by Goldberg, not something I expected to say during the course of this match. Both men up to a vertical base and Goldberg unleashes a primal ROAR. Then hits the spear that Mongo sells by falling backwards onto his arse, like the British Bulldog would say, instead of flying through the air. Outside, Bill sets up the table near the ropes at the entranceway and heads back inside. Bill Fireman carries Mongo to the side of the ring where the table is located and tries to throw him over onto it. Randy Anderson, though, makes a mistake and touches the wrestlers to force Bill away from the table area. That must be why Randy Anderson was not eligible to be pulled out of the hat for the main event, because you can't touch a wrestler, Monsoon. Mongo falls on Goldberg due to this Randy Anderson interference. One, two, no. Wow, can you imagine if they were just like, eh, I don't know. This Goldberg guy, I don't know where he's going. Let's just have Mongo beat him, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Uh, Bill Goldberg is uh, up first and hits a standing dropkick that sends Mongo outside the ring, opposite the table. But Mongo wanders over to the side where the table is, mounts the apron, and starts shoulder-blocking Bill. However, Goldberg punches Mongo once, and Mongo falls through the table to a very minimal reaction. But there is a faint EC-dub chant. Goldberg goes outside, rolls Mongo in the ring. Mongo stands right up and, you know, kicks Goldberg as he enters the ring. So, what was the point of the table? Mongo lifts Goldberg for the tombstone, drops him halfway. I guess that's the story. My back hurts. Uh, Goldberg stands up, hits the jackhammer, float over, suplex, and pin for the one, two, three. Zero stars! It's dumb. There's no logic. To the, to the, like, injury shit. There's no logic to the table use. And it's, it's so dumb. It's such a dumb use of Goldberg. Two minutes at the most. We do, however, get a nice crowd shot as we transition to our next encounter. Out comes Raven to no music. Apparently, Raven's been dodging his opponent for three to four weeks. Uh, meaning that on Nitro, they'd be like, Tonight, Raven's fighting this guy. And then Raven just wouldn't do it. He enters the ring, grabs a microphone, and sits. My contract states that I will not conform to WCW's rules or corporate structure. I wrestle when I want, where I want, and who I want. And tonight, I won't wrestle. Tonight, it's Perry Saturn versus Chris Benoit. Quote the Raven. Nevermore. Sure enough, the Saturn Siren hits. And out comes Perry Saturn with hair. Shivani is like, We haven't seen the flock tonight! Well, we have. I pointed out that Kidman was itchy earlier, but that's fine. Out comes, according to Tony, the buzzsaw, Chris Benoit. You guys remember that? Nick, What the fuck, Tony? Benoit has a microphone. Oh, God. All right, Raven. Quote the Crippler. No more. I don't look at reality through any veil. Nor do I see the truth through any veil. It is what it is. Things are what they are. I am who I am. When I rest, I rest in reason. When I move, I move with passion. And there's nothing I feel more passionate about than inflicting pain on the raven. And when he says raven, it sounds like rhino. The way Stu Hart would say it, the raven. Uh, Helen, look at the backyard. There's a raven in the tree. I've seen ravens in the trees, too. Yeah, but look underneath the tree. There's a rain It looks like the rain going to fight that raven. Saturn attacks and the bell rings. So match number four, Chris Benoit versus Perry Saturn. It's off to a fast pace because Benoit is, you know, fast. And he hits sick chops in the corner. Woo, says the crowd. Saturn locks into sleeper, but no jawbreaker counter by Chris Benoit with more chops that sound really painful. Raven is watching at ringside. I guess he has a management license here in our nation's capital. Dusty Rhodes finds an excuse to say the word soliloquy, so I'm happy. Saturn's now in control with a punch-kick-based offense. They fuck up a spot where Saturn is uh, doing a little gut kick, and Chris Benoit's supposed to catch his foot. So they redo it. And Benoit hits a dragon screw leg whip, according to Tony. Kidman is now up on the apron. Uh, Benoit hits him down. Saturn leaps on Benoit by the ropes. They're supposed to do the spot where both guys go tumbling over the top, but they fuck it up and carefully and casually walk outside because that's where they're supposed to be. Saturn gets whipped into the security railing. Sick boy out of nowhere hits a big double axe out of the crowd. Benoit's down, and Kidman hits the goddamn shooting star press off the apron. Sure, he mostly misses, and his knees slam onto the mats, and it sounds like it's hurt, but that's fine. Kidman stands up, and he's still itchy, and scratches are delivered in a back-and-forth motion. The referee, by the way, doesn't care about any of this interference, so I'm assuming this is Raven's Rules, even though David Pinzer didn't say, "'The following cunt, this is a Raven's Rules match!' Back inside, Saturn fucks up a leg drop, locks in a chin lock, then a neck breaker for a one, two, no. Saturn uh, later does his little moonsault thing where he runs into the corner and like climbs the fucking ropes and turnbuckles like they're steps and jumps and leaps and hits a moonsault and it looks good. One, two, No. The crowd seems to be getting less interested with each match on this card. I don't think a baby face has won yet. That might be a part of it. I don't really know. It is like the WrestleMania show where you're supposed to have your baby faces win, but that's fine. Uh, Saturn goes for a kitchen sink knee thing, and Benoit converts it into a roll-up that gets only two. Camel clutch by Saturn, and then later a brain buster. One, two, no. Another chin lock, and you know what? The WCW cameramen are so interested in these chin locks, we cut to the crowd and see some WCW superstars. Mortis is still sitting, masked, trying to get some soda out of that uh, cup with the straw. Now, his manager, James Vanderberg, is right next to him. However, there's someone sitting in between them. And it's Alex Wright! Are they trying to talk Alex Wright into appearing in some sort of Scheiser video that they're going to be making tonight? <laughs> oh yeah, Jace book. thankful to see it, yeah, I, d- I didn't have to buy a ticket, you pay for me, what, what can I buy you a beer? Actually, Alex Wright, how would you feel if my steward, Mortis, were to poop on you? Yeah, I'm really good at on Alex Wright. You want song when mang Scheiser? Yes! I want Stupin' Von Scheiser! Alex Wright. Hey, Ernest the Cat Miller and Bob Eaton are here as well, but they are standing, so they couldn't afford a ticket, I guess. Tony confirms all of these WCW combatants came at their own expense. Wow. Would you work for WCW knowing that they won't even pay for their talent to come to the biggest show of the year? This match is not very entertaining, by the way. Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rhodes, and Mike Tenet just want to seem to talk about things that are still to come. And you know what? I will too. Who do you guys think is going to be the villain in the next Robert Pattinson Batman movie? I mean, that's something that's going to come in the future. Could it be Mr. Freeze? I know that's always the big rumor. Matt Reeves, the director, has talked about how cool it would try to be to adapt Mr. Freeze into a reality-based film. I could go with that. Could it be Kite Man? No, probably not. Kite Man's too silly. What about the Court of Owls, though? I tell you what, this Gotham City they've been building up in the Batman franchise seems ripe for an appearance from the Court of Owls, plus they've never been done before on celluloid. Oh, look! Chris Benoit has the Crippler Crossface locked in on the outside. The flock interferes. Saturn does a big moonsault onto the pile of everyone. Well, except Chris Benoit, because he scurries away. <laughs> Once Saturn lands and takes out the flock, Dusty says, Oh, Tony, I was wondering what the flock was going on, but look at that. What the flock. Okay, Dust, I- I'm with you. Back inside, Benoit is up top for the big headbutt. And I'll give him some credit, man. He soars like three quarters across the ring and does nail a Perry Saturn. Every member of the flock is back up, and they interfere, but Benoit takes them all down. Lodi, Sick Boy, Kidman, Van Hammer, they're all falling to the Crippler. Raven now stands face-to-face with the Crippler, but Hammer is back up, hits Benoit in the back of the head. Benoit crutches over to sell the pain. Raven steps forward, locks in, and hits even Evenfloor, the Turrallock Butterfly. Oh, no, we don't know. So he chases them away. Yeah. Saturn in covers ring ring. No, 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 here. No, 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 no. Saturn locks in the rings. No, 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 no. Saturn locks in the rings. Hi, hi. Saturn locks in the rings. Chris Benoit submits. Hi, hi. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, Benoit submits to the rings of Saturn. All heels tonight. Definitely not feeling like a big uh, WrestleMania-type blow-off here. I guess I'll give this match two stars. I mean, it was no worse than a six-man tag, but it certainly wasn't any better. Tony says, The remaining four matches tonight represent the turning point in the struggle that has been the WCW versus the New World Order because all matches will be NWO versus WCW. Speaking of NWO, the NWO B-team music hits, and out comes... Buff Bagwell, Christ. And oh no, Tony Giovanni starts talking about how Buff Bagwell's like 3-0 and against Lex Luger with all victories coming by count out. This, this couldn't possibly be Buff versus Luger, could it? Could it? Buff Bagwell talks to the camera and says, I, Hey, you know what? I got a new nickname for Lex Luger. They used to call him the total package, but I think now his name is Lex Loser. Oh, God, I think he is fighting Luger. At least Buff doesn't have his top hat on, though. We'll give him that. Buff enters the ring, and sure enough, the WWF Superstar Line theme starts to play. You know the one. Her, 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 her. Da, 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 da. And it's confirmed. Match number five is Buff Bagwell taking on Lex Luger. Lex makes his entrance. He poses in the pyro and what have you. Uh, Flexi Lexi's hair is very feminine tonight. It's very poofy. You know, it's not wet down or anything. Like, it's fine. I don't care. I'm not trying to shame the man. It just stands out. Like, it's a poofy, feminine mullet. Maybe we're onto something here, Lex. Uh, I guess we'll see. But yeah, it is Buff taking on Luger here. Can the baby faces win? Well, let's find out. Buff continues his conversations with the cameraman and says, Ooh, Lexi looks mad. Well, he is 0 4 according to Buff. Buff stalls a little bit, entering the ring by mounting the steps. Get it back! I need my space! Jesus Christ, the bell hasn't even rung, and the ref is issuing a ten-count on Buff. I don't know if that makes sense. Buff enters the ring, the bell goes ding, and here we are with a collar and elbow tie-up. Lex won't break and slams Buff Bagwell into the corners. Lex does break, and both men stare down center ring. Lex spits in Buff Bagwell's face, and Buff takes a back bump off of it. Now I think in order to pull that off, you need to have flair type powers or charisma, and Buff ain't exactly got that stuff. Mike Tanay claims the score of tonight, even though you don't keep score in wrestling, is one to one. The NWO won the six-man tag, but the Giant beat Scott Hall, so one to one. Well, Mike. We only need to consider real booked matches, says Tony Schiavone. I think that's an oxymoron, Tony. Let's take a look. Real booked matches. No, I'm sorry, Tony. No points for you. Buff threatens to leave and even exits the ring, but then he starts yelling, Vincent! Can they not do anything alone, Daddy? Vincent arrives. I guess he's still alive after being dominated by the brother Steiner. He's got a pretty nice NWO hoodie on that I wouldn't mind having. Come on, Buff, encourages Vincent. They give one another the too sweet, and Buff is ready to get back in the ring. Do you guys remember what Lex Luger was doing in August of 1997? Here we are in December. How the mighty have fallen. We're outside the ring, and Luger won't let Buff Bagwell ram his skull into the security railing. But Lex has no problems ramming Buff's beautiful visage into the security railing. Back inside now, and Luger assaults the back of a Buff Bagwell, which makes sense, given that this finishes the torture rack. Tony again uses Fall Brawl 96 to justify Vincent's appearance. And you know what, folks? Ever since uh, Luger assaulted the back of Buff Bagwell, it's been about five minutes since I wrote down any notes... Buff Bagwell yells, Hey, Mom! into the camera. And you know that Judy got uh, got a lot out of that. The big topics of conversation on commentary are Sting and Monday Nitro. A chin lock by Buff Bagwell. The camera finds Booker T and Stevie Ray in the crowd watching, trying to stay awake. Booker T talks to the camera. I wonder what he said. I'm sure if they would have kept the camera on Stevie a little bit longer, he would have said, Why am I sitting here in the crowd, Tony? Now we transition to a beautiful wide shot of the very nice-looking MCI Center because the match is very, very, very bad. Dusty Rhodes lets us know that earlier today, he saw fans lined up around the building that had tickets. They're so excited to get to the arena. They had their tickets and they didn't care, Daddy Mac. They lined up to get into the arena and watch WCW Winner Big Boys play. They've been lined up since 12, adds Mike today. Uh, well, uh, I didn't write it down there, Iron Mike, but I'm glad that you did. A big Lariato by Buff Bagwell, for those that care. Buff locks, in. <laughs> Buff locks in a reverse chin lock. The crowd hits us with a big L.O.D. chant. Well, I mean, it sounded like L.O.D. I don't know what the hell they were saying. Luger though shakes his arm, trying to find power from this L.O.D. chant. He does, and he breaks the hold. Charges a buff, but eats a kitchen sink knee driver. Lex fights back. He Irish whips Buff. Buff ducks a clothesline and a sleeper. Locked in by a buff Bagwell, dead in the center of the ring here at Starcade. However, Hogan Piper. This is not a side suplex, and Lex breaks free. It's a double down. Buff Bagwell's up. Luger still down. Buff gets some momentum from the ropes and goes for a big ultimate warrior splash. Luger raises the knees. He's up to a vertical base, and he starts pontificating with a frenzy. Fists of ow and ah by Lex Luger. Luger hits his own lariatto, and the crowd is awake. Go on! Rock him! woohoo Say it again, daddy! Rock him! Vincent eats the fist of Alex Luger. Luger then uses the illegal steel plate forearm. He signals for the rack, but no. A telling moment here. This match is bad, okay? When Luger does his little rack motion, though, the crowd pops huge and they all stand up. They're ready for it. And I don't I don't say that they're like they're ready for this to end. I do think they're ready to see Lex hit the rack. Luger, though, doesn't go for the rack. He hits a big vertical souple. Vincent goes up to the top rope. Vincent, have you not learned your lesson from tonight's endeavors? Luger tosses Vince onto Buff. A big double noggin knocker. Vincent is out. Rack signal again delivered by Luger. But instead, Luger uh, backs Buff into the corner with punches and kicks. The referee doesn't like that Lex Luger is using illegal closed fists. Luger... Turns around to confirm with Billy Silverman that that is the official ruling. Buff Bagwell knees Flexi Lexi, and he tackles a Billy Silverman who's down from the pain. Power slam by Lex Luger. He gives the rack signal again. Dusty has had enough. Don't ask me again. Just do it. And he does. He locks in a torture rack. There's no referee present, and the crowd is mild. The Macho Man runs in. He nails Lex Luger. But Luger fights back and press slams the Macho Man Randy Savage, signals for the rack again. Sure enough, the Macho Man goes up for the torture rack. Savage is visibly submitting. But here comes Scott Flash Norton, hits the patented Stone Cold Steve Austin little gut kick. He then hits Lex Luger with what's described by Tony Schiavone as a dog leash. Flash helps referee Billy Silverman gets up, smacks his face like, hey, Billy, wake up. And wouldn't you know, Buff Bagwell was on top of Lex Luger for the one, two, three. Buff Bagwell wins the match. Again, the heels are winning all the matches here. Miss Elizabeth runs from the backstage area to the entrance to check on the Macho Man Randy Savage. I repeat, Miss Elizabeth runs. Okay? No, that's terrible. Speaking of terrible... Like I've said before, I start matches at two and a half, and then you win or you lose. This match, a full negative two and a half stars. They went all the way down. I saw it, and I wanted to kill myself. This match was like 15 goddamn minutes. And that's a problem here, that the time contributes a lot to the, to the ranking being so low. It's the longest match we fucking had. We see a replay of Lex Luger's Souple. Dusty Rhodes calls it the Coupe of Grass instead of the Coup de Gras. So I guess it's 2-0, NWO up top. And hey, speaking of the new the new world odor, the real NWO theme starts. I guess it's time for the US title match. The reigning defending champion of the United States is NWO member Kurt Henning. I suppose that makes sense for a a wrestler of Kurt's stature, but uh, this is the WCW Kurt Henning variant we're talking about. His opponent, self high no <laughs> Page Dallas Diamond, it is. In a big bummer, though, here. PDD arrives wearing his Carl Malone DDP shirt. Now, what the fuck does that mean? When DDP was teaming with Carl Malone, he was on the second wave of his DDP t-shirt, which is like a diamond with his face in the middle. And that's too bad. Uh, I love his first shirt. And you know what? The the first shirt with the DDP and the diamond on the back says self-high-five. Trivia note for my actual existence. The first time I ever met my wife, I was wearing the original Diamond Dallas Page shirt. And I want to tell you, folks, DDP wasn't the only one saying, BANG! There was no need for a self-high-five that night for good old Johnny C. DDP disc shirts instead of disrobes robes. Uh, he's wearing some light denim and rib tape. Uh, I was not wearing light denim and rib tape with my DDP shirt, but that's fine. A massive DDP chant starts and the bell rings. So match six for the United States title, Kurt Henning defending against Diamond Dallas Page. Early quick teases of the Diamond Cutter during some headlock sequences. The, the Diamond Cutter and the crowd's reaction to it. I mean, that move really made DDP. But flip side, DDP made the move first. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm going for there? Kerr Henning goes after the ribs. Shocking. They exchange headlock takeovers, including a cool leaping headlock by DDP. I can't really describe it, but I promise it was cool. And hey, for some reason during this headlock exchange, Dusty Rhodes said Mortal Kombat. Let me give you the contextual nature. Uh, They were talking about DDP having the rib uh, tape, as he usually does, and Dusty's all like, well, the ribs of Diamond Dallas Page can't heal because it's constantly engaged in some Mortal Kombat, baby. Then, Dusty offers these words of wisdom. Hey, Boeth, how about the FWO? Silence. And Dusty explains, you know, the Sting World Order, daddy. The Sting World Order. Henning is bumping around for DDP, and that's nice. Kurt gets tossed outside. Dallas pursues and gets him back in the ring. But Kurt Henning takes advantage and stun guns the throat of Diamond Dallas Page. Shortly after that, DDP gets tossed to the outside and kicks a camera. And the cameraman? Ouch. DDP eats the steps. Kurt Henning goes and slides into the ring to break the count for reasons, because he's the champion. DDP gets back in, and Kurt rips up the rib tape. I hear a boring chant. Oh, that's too bad. Dusty Rhodes says, Fandango! And then he talks about the NWO roster of superstars. I had to rewind it because I thought he said Rasta. You know, like... I mean, I guess he did say Rasta because he said, Let's talk about the new NWO Rasta, baby. So I guess they both work. Lariat by Kurt Henning. One, two... Kurt locks in the reverse chin lock and uses the ropes for assistance. Shades of Mr. Perfect. you guys remember that guy, Mr. Perfect? I swear to God, then, we cut back to Mortis, Alex Wright, and James Vandenberg, and James is still selling Alex Wright on the idea of the shit tape. Oh, yeah, so you want me to open mouth for Shiza? Oh, I don't know. I kind of do that. Hi, Alex Wright. I've been trying to get a drink all night, and I'm really thirsty. Can you just hold open my mouth call please? Sonny Ono's in the background eating some popcorn, and Tony says, Look at Sonny Ono back there with the popcorn! Mortis, by the way, is wearing a striped dad shirt, like a shirt a dad would wear to a barbecue, and a leather coat with his mask on. How about he wears, like, a hoodie with a leather jacket, and he wears, like, aviator shades inside. That way he doesn't have to wear the mask, but he still covers his face. Uh, uh... Eh. Uh, what happens next? Oh, DDP is at a chin lock. He breaks out of it using a stunner, but Henning doesn't sell it and punches him in the skull. Both men are up, and we have a slugfest. A right cross sends Kurt Henning flying over the top. Then DDP channels AEW superstar Raph and X with a slingshot body block. The two men fight into the crowd. Henning's bumping all over. Both guys get back inside at the count of nine. DDP then posts the dick of a Kurt Henning, Perfect, hit the post, monsoon. Oh, I like what you call that, a huthankunrunner or a lately. DDP throws up the patented Jay-Z hand sign. He goes for the cutter. But Kurt Heading holds on to the top rope and DDP takes a back bump. Kurt covers. One, two, no. Schoolboy by DDP. One, two, no. Small package by DDP. One, two, no. A lariat sends DDP down to the ground. One, two, no. Kurt Henning calls a spot, picks up DDP, and says, Now you're going to see a fisherman suplex. It's countered into a face plant. The two men stand up and Matrix punch one another. You know, they punch each other at the same time, and they both go flying. Except this time they both fall on their arse. Kurt Henning, Irish whip. Irish whip is reversed. DDP hits a float over, all of the rocks laying in the smackdown DDT, and Diamond Cutter out of nowhere! Big pop. One, two, three. Hey, the good guy won! Woo! And we have a new United States champion. And the crowd seems happier. And I, You know, I gotta admit, it's nice to see a big moment for Diamond Dallas Page on a stage like this. I am a DDP fan. Uh, you know, rags to riches, if you will. It's a story everybody can get behind. Who doesn't love the Diamond Cutter? And hey, like I said, that magic shirt really paid off for a Johnny C. So, I will admit the match was, eh, it could have been a lot better. It was like 10 minutes, which is fine. I have no problems with that, especially after the last match being like 16 minutes. If I'm being honest, I'd say it's like two and a quarter, but I don't like doing quarters. So I'll just give it two and a half, a nice baseline. But again, the caveat, it's honestly because I don't like quarters. And speaking of quarters, kidsters, we are three-quarters of the way through this pay-per-view extravaganza. As Tony lets us know, there's only two matches left, and they will truly be for control of the WCW. But first, let's take a look back at uh, what's going on on WCWWrestling.com. We do cut to the back, and we see a little skit. We've got Eddie Guerrero talking to a dude who's typing on a keyboard. But more importantly, ladies and gentlemen... Talking to Eddie Guerrero, a full head of hair variant of Mark Madden. Hey, Eddie, I know you had a really good match tonight. I'll tell you, did you get any catering? Did you get any of that pastrami? Because, I don't know, I just kind of want some pastrami. Behind them are the crooked WCW letters from the old, like, 90s days. The letters that always looked like they were crooked, but maybe they were supposed to be crooked. I don't know. It's just a little taste of history. Back in the arena, some music plays. And then the music stops. And then a different set of music, or fucking tune, starts playing. And boy, does this tune suck. This match is for control of WW Nitro. Now the music sucks because it belongs to Brett the Hitman Clark. This is the first version of his WW theme. And it's not really important, but he's decked out in all black. He's the special referee for this match for control of WW Nitro. And you know what? I'll admit, he looks happy. Good for him because you won't see a lot of happy Bret Hart in his WCW run. But we got to know, Tony, Tony Tivani, is Bret to him and going to be a tweener? Is there still a tweeter? Dusty wants to know. So, it's for control of Nitro. I don't know if I've talked about it in detail. Basically, this is the skinny. Eric Bischoff, representing the NWO, taking on the living legend, Larry Zbysko, in a game of mental chess for control of Nitro. So, if Eric wins... Nitro becomes an NWO show. Larry wins. It maintains the status quo as a nit- as a WW show. You got to go at the status quo. Talking about a regular Joe now. Go about the status. Go about the status quo. That is a South Park High School Musical joke, fans. Um, but Bret Hart's a special guest referee, and and you know, the tweener thing is we're worried: is Bret NWO? Is he WCW? Is he perhaps a third party? The new Blood theme song starts, and out comes Eric Bischoff. He's accompanied by Scott Hall. David Pinser says, and I quote, He is the leader of the NWO, Eric Bischoff, also known as (laughs) Eazy-E. How about that? I don't even care about the Easy e part. The leader of the NWO. Well, there it is, folks, in case you ever wondered. Eric is shirtless with a backwards hat, some black karate pants, and a leather coat. He immediately tosses off the hat into the crowd. Well, there's a nice souvenir for someone. He he gets a real tough guy stone face glare into the camera, then enters the ring and flashes some double peace signs shades of Richard Nixon, but he's doing the whole I love you I love you guys. I was just pretending when I was walking out. You know, so we like to have a little fun in the NW, but it's cool now, man. Everything's fine, just have a beer, relax. Easy is gonna take care of everything. Uh, He does take the jacket off, and he's ready to go. He's got some some karate boxing gloves on and some karate boxing shoes. The W.W. Nitro theme plays, and I feel like I should be on the PlayStation 1, but no. Dusty says that Larry Zbysko is about to take some sugar time on Eric Bischoff. Larry gets some pyro, and here he is in his Z coat. You know, a big glittery coat with a Z on it. I guess you could say Larry Zbysko is the Z-man. If you will, Larry gets more pyro than Goldberg. Not so much Goldberg tonight, but more pyro than Goldberg gets on a regular basis. Great sign. Welcome to Larryland. Uh the announcers let us know they cannot be impartial in this one. When entering the ring, Larry Zbyszko starts to give Bret Hart the business. Ah, oh, Bret, I'm telling you, this game of chess can be played one of two ways. We can be fair and impartial, or you could be a pawn. For the New World Odor, Bret Hart pats him down looking for international objects, and he does the same thing to Eazy-E. Eazy-E's got a big grin on his face as he's being fingered down and patted by Bret the Hitman Clark, and that's fine. Does it for you? Rock and roll. The bell rings, and here we go. There's a huge Larry Zabisco chant. I mean, they're really into this one, and Larry gets a big smile on his face, and you know what? Good for him, too. Larry dodges some punches. He dodges a kick, but a left jab connects. It didn't do a lot of damage, but it does indeed connect. Bischoff celebrates by doing O'Doyle rules. Eric, later, ah, just about 10 seconds later, he he gets in another stance. He makes what I can only refer to as an offensive karate noise and hits another jab. Sabisco gets in close to do some wrestling. Eric calls timeout. That's a good move there. He heads to the outside and gets in a quick coaching session with Scott Hall. He's back in and hits a c-c-c-combo of strikes, but no effect on the Zeban. A power slap by Larry Zabisco again. I can't watch that show. Zabisco then lunges. Eric steps back and dodges and hits a spin kick. Zabisco is down. Brett checks on Larry to see if he wants to continue, and Eric is gloating. Zabisco rams into the buckle. Punch! 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 Oh no! Eric yells. And there's a huge pop when Zabisco takes control. It takes Eric down with a hair takedown. Zabisco then rubs the face of Eric Bischoff into the WCW mat. Bret Hart, the referee in charge, pulls Zabisco off. Now, this is actually okay because Zabisco was using the hair to rub the face against the mat so it was an illegal maneuver. Bischoff is up. Zabisco hits the sleeper! Dead center ring. Uh, Shades of Buff versus Luger earlier in the night. But Brett breaks up the sleeper hold. And you know what? Good on you, Brett, I will say. Because I've been in the wars of sports entertainment, and I could see Zabisco was tucking that bottom hand a little too close to the neck muscles, causing a blatant choke, Jess. It's true. A short arm scissor takedown into a leg scissor, and Bischoff is screaming for his mama. Uh, Scott Hall tells Bret Hart that this leg scissors is a choke. Bret, you know, not one to believe a Scott Hall. Because Scott Hall would say anything to protect his man. That being said, though, Bret gets in a little bit closer and confirms this leg scissor head vice is a choke. And so the hold is broken. Zabisco stands up and yells, What? And gets in the face of Bret Hart. But he turns around to catch Bischoff with a scoop slam. Larry Standing over Bischoff with a foot in each hand, it appears that he's forgotten how to apply the figure four. But he remembers, and he locks in the standing figure four. Gotta admit, don't know that I've ever seen it. It's pretty fun. Bischoff gets a rope break, but Larry pulls him off and continues to work the leg. Bischoff creates separation and slides out. Zabisco pursues. Bischoff is thrown arm first into the solid steel post. I should add, he's thrown arm first into the solid steel post. Very poorly. Brett gets in Zabisco's face on the outside, telling him they need to get it back in the ring. You've been wrestling for too long to forget the rules, Larry. He yells. Zabisco heads outside again, though, with another rule infraction, and tosses Bischoff into the steps. Poorly. Come on, ref, get in there, man. You gotta do something about this. Uh... Bischoff gets pulled into the ring by Zabisco. Zabisco throws his fist back to strike, but Brett intercepts, and it's a solid move by the referee, and here's why. okay, In the sport of kings, you cannot allow a closed fist. It's one thing to allow a closed fist and then admonish the competitor, but the problem with that is for the remainder of the match, the person who was on the receiving end of the closed fist is now at a lower stamina stat because they took a face-first strike with a closed fist. So you should intercept a closed fist so it doesn't give an unlawful advantage to the closed fist striker. In my opinion, and it appears that Brett's read the same rule of refereeing book that I have. So, solid move by Brett. Uh, All of a sudden, Bischoff, in a little argument, or sorry, Zabisco, in a little argument with Brett, Zabisco turns around, Bischoff is back at full strength, SUPER KICK PARTY! Now, Bischoff is limping hard, but he pursues with punch, kick, punch, kick. Yeah, he yells. You know, those primal yells are important to competitors. Eric goes for a paint like strike and misses by a country mile, but gets Zabisco in the corner with jab, jab, jab. Zabisco's trying desperately to cover up a big Larry chant. Eric Bischoff lands a haymaker. Bischoff winds up for another one, but... Eric appears to have lost a little bit of steam. Okay, the punches that he's throwing now don't seem to have much uh, attached to them. Okay, a- and I'm starting to get a little idea in my head. It appears that Zabisco may have a cunning ruse planned. Eric strikes. Nothing behind it. Eric appears to be running out of breath. Eric strikes again. He appears to be. Quite fatigued, Zabisco puts down his dukes. He lets his guard down, if you will. He's at full strength! It appears to have been a -a rope-a-dope! Zabisco strikes back with punches and hits a souple. Larry then goes to ram Eric Bischoff face first into the top turnbuckle. However, Eric Bischoff is too tidy, and the momentum carries Eric straight down face first hard into the middle turnbuckle. I don't think he was expecting that. Bischoff's hair is all disheveled, and he's kind of tiny. And he kind of looks like Teen Wolf, Michael J. Fox, when he's about to transform into the Teen Wolf. Too bad Eric couldn't do that. Bischoff hits a swinging neckbreaker and places Eric Bischoff in the tree of... Whoa. Scott Hall gets up on the apron, while Larry is being admonished by Bret Hart for trying to attack an opponent that's tied up in the ropes. Bret pulls Larry out of the corner, and this allows Hall to dig into his pants and pull out what could best be described as an international object. It appears to be some sort of a steel plate, and uh, Hall inserts this steel plate into Eric Bischoff's boot, so we've got a loaded boot scenario. Zabisco punches Hall, and Brett pulls Zabisco away again. You cannot strike a licensed manager. And I know he's licensed because I did my homework and found the paper trail. So, Larry's a little bit distracted. The tree of woe is broken. Eric gets out of it. Wouldn't you know, Eric winds up and hits a lethal steel kick to the face of Larry Zbysko. Now, fans, at this moment, When Eric Bischoff makes solid steel impact with the face of a cruncher, Larry Zabisco, the solid steel plate goes flying out of Eric Bischoff's fucking boot. It probably hit someone in the crowd, and it was like, ah! Bret Hart watches the solid steel plate fly into the air, like, oh, it's still good, it's still good, it's still good. Shades of a Homer Simpson. Eric celebrates with another O'Doyle rules, but he doesn't make the cover. He runs over to Brett and says, raise my hand. Brett does raise the hand of an Eric Bischoff, but then he punches Bischoff! Squaw! In the face! What the hell, ref? I was really on your side. You were doing such a great job. Hall steps up like, okay, man. You gonna punch my friend? I'm going to punch you. And he lunges forward with a razor punch. It's blocked. Inverted atomic drop by the hitman. A hitman lariat. The crowd is on fire. Bret Hart holds the feet of Scott Hall. Sharpshooter! Larry Zabisco is up. He chokes Eric Bischoff with his own black karate belt. Scott Hall passes out from the sharpshooter pain. Bret lets go. Larry lets go. Bret raises Larry Zbysko's hand to the absolute biggest pop of the night. I'm not sure why. The bell hasn't really rung. But the match is over because Larry Zbysko's Nitro theme music starts to play. Tony is really excited. He calls Eric Bischoff and Scott Hall a couple of hers Brett observes the carnage he's helped uh, facilitate with a big Bret Hart smile. And that's the end of the contest. So, Let's take a step away from what actually happened in the match and think about this. The finish is ludicrous because there is no finish. I'm wondering if Bret Hart was maybe supposed to find the plate in Bischoff's boot. I don't know. I'm sure they probably talked about this or maybe they haven't. Maybe nobody gives a shit but me and I didn't look it up. But I'm smart enough to put two and two together. It's a it's a happy fucking accident that Bret Hart watches that fucking plate fly into the sky and into the crowd. It's a happy accident, because that's grounds for a DQ if you really want to take this thing seriously. <laughs> seriously. But it is just a happy accident, but it is grounds for a DQ, so is Bret improv here? And if you are, Bret, it's fine, not a bad job. You know, you've, you've shown you're aligned with WCW... And it, you were kind of allowed to strike Eric because Eric cheated, and that's how you were showing your allegiance. But maybe talk to referee Dave Pinzer, and you know, sometimes WCW announcers get a little over-explaining. And he could be like, "Ladies and gentlemen, due to Eric Bischoff using a steel boot implement, the winner by disqualification, Larrys Abisco." Or maybe talk to the camera and be like, "Bischoff, you trying to use a solid steel plate in your boot?" That's a disqualification, and Nitro belongs to the WCW, or something like that. But it's fine. Well, it's not fine, but I'm, you know, smart enough to put two and two together, so whatever. Now, here's the shocker, folks. Baseline two and a half for this match. Yep. These guys aren't very active in the ring, but I was entertained the entire time. I wasn't bored at all, and there's been so much slock on this card. This is a type of match that nobody looks back at like, oh man, that was a classic. But, what were you expecting? It's Bischoff-Zabisco with all sorts of shenanigans, special refs, interference. It's a perfectly fine garbage match with non-wrestlers, okay? What do you want? And it's on the biggest show of the year, so you're allowed a little bit of schlock like this. You know? Yeah, sure, Vince and Sean and stuff like that is better. That's just a random Vince match I pulled out of my ass. It's not a classic, but still fine. And this isn't that, but you know what? It's the WCW version of that, so good for you guys. By winning, not only does WCW get to save Monday Nitro and, and maintain uh, ownership of it, but Larry Zbyszko gets a one-on-one match with Scott Hall. It's sold out, and folks, we have one match to go, and it's for, as Jim Ross would say, the biggest in our business. We get one more big, beautiful, wide shot. Of the MCI arena here in D.C. And let's head up to Michael Buffer. You guys think David Pinzer was ever pissed about this whole Buffer thing? Like, well, Pinzer, I gotta tell you, Eric Bischoff here, I love you. You're great. You're a wonderful ring announcer. I just think we need to bring in Michael Buffer for the important matches. Buffer lets us know that this match is sanctioned by the D.C. Athletic Commission and, and I quote... The WCW. He calls it the most anticipated match in history. Huh? Possibly to some. I wouldn't argue with that. To some. Let's get ready to rumble. New, 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 new world order. For life. Out comes the man, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. The boys are talking about Starcade and its historic nature. As Hogan plays his belt, as he's apt to do, down to the ring... Buffer makes some claims. A man whose name is a household word. Okay, two words, that's fine. His persona, name, and face are recognized on all seven continents. Kind of a Paul Bearer, Michael Buffer, but I'm leaving it in. All seven continents there, Mikey. Well... I suppose if the person who's stationed in the Antarctic wilderness is uh, aware of Hulk Hogan, then you are correct. But how many human beings actually lay their heads in Antarctica? I mean, I know some, I know there's research facilities, deep state, Bay- there's a conspiracy, there's an Antarctic missile facility uh, where the penguins, these penguins live, and they've all got missiles strapped to their backs, ready to attack America at any time, alright, I've seen this, I've seen pictures, uh, a friend showed me a video back in 1992 of these, what these penguins are capable of when they attacked a small city in Delaware, uh, it's called Gotham City, goddamn penguins, it's a conspiracy. Um, I love Hollywood shirt. I always wanted one. I always wanted one of his official Hollywood bandanas, too. I swear to God, I'm just going to bite the bullet and buy one off eBay or something. Uh, like I said, he's playing the guitar with his belt. Uh, he enters the ring, and he makes Nick Patrick hold the belt on his shoulder while he poses and rips his shirt. Hogan and Patrick share some words. Tony Schiavone asks the boys on commentary if they'll all agree to hang back for Sting's entrance. They do. And here we go. And now, ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Challenger. We get the uh, creepy Sting music that we all know these days, and some lightning flashes, and there's a thunderous noise. And some kidsters are about to perform a tone poem. But before I perform the tone poem, I want to let you know that the lightning strikes that were visible in the arena during this tone poem sometimes turn to scorpions and even Sting's face, and it's not a bad visual for the time. And here is the story of The Man Called Sting. When a man's heart is full of deceit, it burns up, dies, and a dark shadow falls over his soul. From the ashes of a once great man has risen a curse. I kind of like that. That part where I said I kind of like that is not part of the tone poem, by the way. A wrong that must be righted. We look to the skies for a vindicator. Someone to strike fear into the black hearts of the sane man who created him. What? The battle between good and evil has begun. Against an army of shadows comes the dark warrior, the purveyor of good, with a voice of silence and a mission of justice. This is Sting. The music stops. And it starts over, but it's slower And more menacing. And out walks Sting. He's in his trench coat. He has his bat. There's some pyrotechnics. We get a beautiful crossfade technique on the camera of Hogan's face fading in ever so slightly into Sting making the walk. Sting looks so young. And I'm serious when I say this. More serious maybe than I've ever been about anything I've ever said in podcast form. Sting looks strangely so sad. Because when they say the eyes, sort of the window to everything, he looks so sad. And it breaks my heart. Okay, I lied about the breaks my heart stuff thing. But it does look really sad. It's kind of creepy, kind of cool, but also kind of sad. He gets to the ring and he points to Hogan with the bat. Tony lays out the entire story and what might be the pinnacle of Tony's WCW commentary, maybe, and I really know. But he basically says that uh, Sting was a star. Sting was our star. And then Hulk Hogan arrived. And we put everything onto Hulk Hogan, foolishly. Hogan betrayed us. And then we turned on Sting. Now Sting returns. And Longfellow couldn't have said it better. The icons face off, set a ring, the lights come up, and there's kind of a, a sound playing in the background on the audio. Like, you know the WWF's Old made Events sound? The boom, 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 when they would walk to the, to the you know. There's this, it, but it, it's great, it's fantastic, it works so well here. I don't know about the tone poem. I don't know about Sting's pale arms as he takes his jacket off. Okay. But I do know that that sound is really nice. The bell rings. Here we go. Match eight. The main event. Hollywood Hulk Hogan defending against the dark purveyor. Our savior. Sting. Hollywood pushes Sting. He throws the bandana in Sting's face. And then a power slap by Sting. Sting stands completely still. Hogan walks in a circle, yelling at the crowd. Hogan stops, sticks his body halfway outside the ring to yell at some more fans. He enters full body into the ring. He does some more circle walking. They inch closer. Lock up! Really? A fucking lock up? Sting is pushed back into the corner. He blocks a punch and strikes back with a punch of his own. The boys on commentary are, are talking about how this is important to WCW, blah, 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 blah. And Dusty makes a call. You know, while you all the soliloquy and I was watching and fast pace is not the clue here. It's got to be really thought. Thought out and don't make mistakes. <laughs> so, yeah, Dusty letting us all know. Um... Fast pace is not the clue. I don't know what that means, but it definitely means that they are uh, not doing anything. Nothing of note. A big Hogan sucks chant. Sting has yet to actually, like, attack and lunge forward. Hogan asks for a Greco-Roman knuckle lock. Uh, Hogan puts his uh, hand into Sting's face, the palm, and he's like, This is where the power lies, dude. One hand locks. Oh, but Hogan kicks and punches, and Sting is now down on one knee. Sting is pushed back in the corner. Hogan yells to someone, This is for you, nasty Nick, and punches Sting's squaw in the jaw. I'm assuming that's his his son, the Nickster. Uh, But but I don't really know. A whip to the buckle clothesline, as only Hollywood Hulk Hogan can do, and Sting is now down on one knee. A chop to the throat by Hogan. You ain't nothing, hero. An eye poke. A body slam. Hollywood follows up with the elbow, but he misses. Sting is up with a jump kick. And the crowd likes it. Hollywood is sent outside. We get a nice close up on Sting's face. And folks, the Stinger is doing some breathing. The Stinger is tired. The Stinger needs some oxygen. And perhaps that is why Sting does not pursue Hollywood Hulk Hogan to the outside. He just stands there, kind of looking lost and sad. Hogan slinks back into the ring. We get a light, boring chant. And a headlock by Hollywood Hogan, transitioning to a shoulder tackle. Hogan bounces off the ropes. Sting planks up. Leapfrog. dropkick. kick! He gets another one! Two... Hollywood flips over the top rope to the outside after the second dropkick. And the crowd is in a verbal frenzy. It's just a dropkick, though, folks. Hollywood Hulk Hogan yells at some fans at ringside. Uh, he yells at a fat guy at ringside. The fat guy yells, fuck you! Back inside now with the two icons squaring off and another lockup. Then a headlock by Sting. Hollywood Hulk Hogan cannot escape. He tries, but he just can't get out. Finally, though, after about a minute, Hogan pushes out Irish whip and a shoulder tackle by the Stingster. Sting, with some momentum now, he bounces, ducks a lariat. Oh, but Hogan turned and threw another lariat that Sting could not avoid. And then Sting, brought to a vertical base by his nemesis, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Dead center of the ring. A nice vertical souple by Hollywood Hulk Hogan. But Sting pops back up with the no-sell! Hollywood is frightened. Sting does a crotch chop? At least afterwards, he hits the Sting flurry in the corner. The chop, punch, kick. But then an eye poke by Hollywood Hulk Hogan puts this man back in control. Uh, Sting is thrown through the middle ropes to the outside. Hollywood pursues and throws Sting face-first into the timekeeper's table. He picks up Sting's bat and just nails Hogan. Or Hogan just nails Sting with it right in front of referee Nick Patrick. There's no DQ called. Oh, oh! You know, I was pissed about this, but it makes total sense. We're outside the ring, Shivani. You can use the bat on the outside. It's not a big deal. Sting, thrown shoulder-first into the post... Uh, Sting is then thrown into the guardrail of a security nature. Hogan then approaches a fan and says, Oh, let me have that, brother. It's an NWO shirt. He goes over to Sting, shoves it into his face, and then tosses it aside. Well, what about that fan? He paid for that shirt, man. Sting reverses an Irish whip and sends Hogan into the security railing, ribs first. Hogan is dazed and confused leaning against the security rail. Sting creates some distance. Sting turns towards Hollywood Hogan. Sting walks with a purpose. Sting breaks the walk with a purpose into a light jog with a Stinger Splash, but no! Hollywood misses, and Sting's ribs kiss the steel! Hogan gets Sting up and drops him dick first onto the security railing. Well, that's a good look for the WCW hero. Back inside now. Inverted atomic drop by the Hollywoodster. Sting is back up. Irish whip. Big boot. Hollywood does his patented ear cups, saying to the fans, Is this my time to drop a leg? One, two, three. Hollywood bounces off the ropes. Leg drop! He makes the cover. One, two, three! Hogan has done it! We cut to Bret Hart at the timekeeper's table. Where did he come from? He won't let the timekeeper ring the bell. Nick Patrick gives Hollywood Hulk Hogan the belt and leaves as the match is over. Uh, Bret Hart grabs a microphone, and it, it they really want to project Bret Hart's words over the house mic, but they don't really quite get it in time. I can hear it. The TV can kind of hear it, but I don't know if the arena can hear it. I said it would never happen again, and it's not going to happen again. Bret Hart then says, it was a fast count. Pause! Let's rewind a little bit. Okay. Big boot! Leg drop! One! Two! Three. So, legend tells us that Nick Patrick was supposed to do a fast count. I am here to tell you, everyone out there, who believes Nick Patrick did not do a fast count, you are wrong. Nick Patrick did do a fast count. Here's the problem, though. It's only a fast count because Nick Patrick makes the one, two, three without doing the arm wiggle in between each count of the cadence. All right? So it's. Now, if Nick Patrick was doing the arm wiggles, it would be. You know, because the wiggle takes time. So it was a fast Nick Patrick count. But Nick needed to realize he needed to translate his normal cadence and sort of make it more like a referee's normal cadence and then do a fast count on that. machi. where were we? Okay, so Hart... Hart... Chases Hollywood, who's trying to leave. Throws him back in the ring. Then calls for the bell. It rings again. And I guess, here we go. As soon as the bell rings, Sting is a house of fucking fire. Murders Hogan with his Sting flurries. Gets him in the corner. Big Stinger Splash. Buff comes out. Flash Norton comes out. Sting destroys him instantly. Stinger Splash number two. Hogan is down. Sting has a foot in each hand. With no buildup on the back. With no... Trauma done to Hogan, and I'm not saying I want to see a bunch of limb work in this shit. Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, points at Bret Hart before he turns him. He does turn him. Hogan shakes his head no. Hart is down, ready for the verbal submission. Hogan shakes his head yes. The bell rings, and the crowd is happy. They pop. But I definitely think the pop is deflated based on what has occurred and how this has been delivered to them. Luger enters the ring. Sting shows emotion for the first time in two years and jumps into his arms. I actually like that as the first sign of emotion from Sting. It gets lost in all this. It should have been built up. Luger should have sprinted down to the ring, dived in, held at the side of the ring, and let Sting run across and jump into him so everyone could see. But there's so much happening here. There's so much happening here that we can't focus on that. The crowd does pop a little bit more when he does the jump, but think about it. That should be the moment. That should be the moment that's in every video package. <sighs> the ring fills with WWE personnel. Uh, big Show's there. Fucking Harlem Heat's there. Fit Finley's there. Uh who else? Oh, Mortis is in the ring, still wearing his mask. In a hilarious moment, if you really watch Mortis the whole time, Glacier walks behind Mortis and tugs at his hair, because, you know, they're a nemesis. Uh, you can tell this thing's not organized by anybody, because LaParka's dead center ring, just in full view, and that's fine. I don't hate LaParca, but you know he's not getting that spot if someone's, like, blocking this like it's a play. It's going to be like the Steiner Brothers or something. It's a cool sight, though. It is. Sting. Fights through the crowd and takes the takes the corner. He mounts it with the belt in hand. Uh, he then jumps down and hugs Laparka. Well, shit, maybe Leparca should be set rigged then. I, I mean, I sure i I understood Sting showing the emotion by diving into Luger's arms because this is his best friend. They've been separated from for years, but you know, casually hug Parka? I don't know. Rey Mysterio is up on Hugh Morris' shoulders. Hex on Jim Duggan is in the opposite corner, wearing a tuxedo, waving old glory. Sting spikes the camera. He has not spoken in almost two years. He hasn't wrestled in almost two years. He hasn't seen his friend Lex Luger in two years. Well, Sting has wrestled. Sting has become heavyweight champion of the world. He is reunited with his best friend, but he has not spoken. Now, after two years, he speaks to all of us. Seva-seva-mamacita! And Sting, for the first time, has something to say! Yeah, yeah, he just said, ha mamacita And, hey, that's fine. But it's also not fine, okay? It's just not. Um a beautiful slow motion shot of Sting lifting the gold takes us to the credits and thus ends Starcade 1997. Well, fuck me sideways. Talk about a bad idea. The restart, the restart. When Ho- when H- when Hart rings the bell, that is what the entire match should have been the just period. Maybe an extra minute. Extra minute. 45 seconds I don't know but that's what and I'm not a booker and I know every person on the internet just we all think I know it's not a unique opinion okay Uh. in terms of a match ranking I'm giving it no stars I really want to go negative like I really do but here's the thing I want to go negative because, in my opinion, they booked the match completely wrong. But that doesn't account for match work. So, just zero stars, just nothing. But on the flip side, they deserve no props for this abomination of a match. Okay? And and you know what? The, the whole kind of pay-per-view is really an abomination. I'm wondering if this is Hogan's creative control that the match has to be even. And then Sting just doesn't know what to do with this character. So, he just does what he does. But... In terms of the whole pay-per-view, this this thing is like awful, okay? It's not booked with a card of the magnitude bef- you know that should be a show of this nature. You know? It, it just it's not worthy of being Starcade 97 that has the blow off to the NWO angle. And you know what? People always say this is where the NWO angle should have ended. I well or at least been very much marginalized. I agree with you, but they couldn't based on the way this shit went down. It's the- it's the worst ending to a story. And this is a medium where you control the narrative. And you really just fucked it up. You know, Bischoff likes to, uh, you know, Bischoff and, and McMahon and all these guys, they talk about, yeah, we're, uh, we're making television. And McMahon's, you know, oh we're making make movies. Uh, but you know the thing? McMahon believes that so much that, you know, when he's in creative control, usually he doesn't get shit like this wrong. So, I don't know. It's a mind-numbing decision to do the referee, or the ending this way, and why even have Hart come down and do the shit? I know you want to cash in on Montreal and have Bret Hart make an impact. This is not the way. This, this is anti-Mandalorian. Mandalorian, this is the way? No, this is not the way. I always kind of wanted, this is the last thing I'll say, I always kind of wanted Sting to come back and they do the whole thing kind of like they did, and then the lights go down, they come up, and he's back with the bleach blonde, and like full, like Rufio Sting. Uh, But Sting wasn't in no kind of shape for that. So, and I don't know if it would have been a good idea, but I don't know. I don't know. I always kind of wanted him to go back just once. Never really happened. So, folks, uh, that's going to wrap up this edition of Ringman Starcade 97, a card that if you would have told me was the card. Because, you know, I didn't look at it. I would have said, no, you're reading the wrong card. Uh, Make sure... There's two R's in Starcade, Goose. That's what I would have said. I said, you're looking at the wrong card. But it was what it was. And the Cruiserweight match was the best match, technically speaking. And it was nothing you couldn't catch any week on Nitro. No disrespect to the late, great Eddie Guerrero or Dean Malenko. I'm just saying. I'm blown away by this show. I'm so glad I watched it. I'm so glad that uh, it stands out like the sore thumb that it is. Because... I feel like there are so many mishandlings in WCW's history that the fact that they botched the unbotchable has to go down as the most WCW thing in history. Subscribe to the new TNN so you get notified when new content drops. Folks, we're done. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you let